Well, we are very fortunate now to welcome Brett Robbins of Ascendant Studios, the game director for Immortals of Avium, onto the show. This has been a long time coming. Brett, of course, is a longtime veteran of the gaming industry with a resume that includes games like Call of Duty and Dead Space, as well as many others. Brett, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. I'm uh, so excited to have you here. Uh, it's been a long time coming for me because uh, Immortals of Avium has had just a really cool run-up. It, ha- it had that launch in, o- in August. Uh, I have so many questions to get to you about, but I think it's more prudent to say, let's start with Ascendant. Uh, tell me a little bit about Ascendant Studios, because this is a new studio. Ascendant Studios is a new studio. I formed it in... Um... 2018, so we've been going uh, a little over five years now. Uh, we, uh, you know, I, I founded it really to make uh, Immortals of Avium. Uh, that was the entire uh, genesis of the company was to make this one game. Um, and like you said, we launched it a couple months ago. So it was a, a five-year development, um, and it was a roller coaster, and it was amazing. And I'm really happy that the game is is out there in the world now. I'd have to imagine that that uh that was a stressful, strange five years because you started in 2018, a pandemic hits partway through. What do you do? That had to be strange. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. We had all sorts of challenges. I mean, I, I had never started a studio before. I, I you know I worked at a lot of big companies. I had worked at uh, you know I started my career at Crystal Dynamics and then uh, Electronic Arts and. Um, and then, you know, Activision making Call of Duty. So I was used to being um, kind of a smaller cog in a larger machine. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I was, you know, having to figure out how to um, balance a budget and uh, and pay people and do you know, basic, basic things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the learning curve was very steep. Um, and yeah, we had about... Uh, 30 or 35 people uh, at the beginning of 2020 and we had a, a great prototype we had been working on and uh and everything and then the pandemic hit and uh i had to shut the doors and then we all had to go home and start to figure out how to work remotely you know just mm-hmm. as everyone else did at the time um and i yeah i mean i i'll, I'll be honest i i thought uh, well this might be it i don't i don't know I don't know how to do this. I don't know how we do this, but uh, you know, bit by bit, we we kind of you know figured it out. Uh, actually, and there were some silver linings to it. We, uh, you know, one big thing that changed, and I think this changed for a lot of people, is I had always thought about hiring locally, people just you know down the street or people that could commute in. And once we realized that's not going to be a factor for you know the foreseeable future it became about, uh, well, let's just get the best people we can anywhere they are. And we cast our net really wide. And suddenly I was just finding amazing people uh, in, all, in all corners of the country um, and, and beyond the country. And that accelerated my hiring and allowed me just to kind of tap into talent that I wouldn't have even you know, thought of before. So there were some silver linings to it, but uh, of course it was an incredibly stressful time. and. Um, and really hard on everyone. So I'm, I'm glad we're seeing the tail end of it. Or the, the, it's in our rearview mirror now. Certainly so. To to go from being a cog in the machine to being the guy that has to make those decisions, navigate things like payroll while also hiring, casting a worldwide net, moving file sizes that are so large. Uh, I have to imagine there was a lot of pivoting uh, at various points, how much did that affect the project as you went through it? Change the scope or anything? Uh, yeah, we we pivoted quite a bit. Um, I mean, we spent the first year not really sure what we're making. Um, I knew I wanted to make a first-person shooter, but uh, you know, adding magic and, and making it a fantasy shooter and, and all this stuff was uh, something pretty different. And I didn't want it to feel like a you know every other game out there. So. Um, we experimented for a long time. We went down some um, questionable roads uh, in terms of how the gameplay might work, um, and and actually got you know, I would say uh, made some mistakes. 
and pivoted. And then it was probably about a year in um, where I just said, oh, okay, look, first and foremost, this has to be an awesome shooter. Let's, let's just focus on the shooting fundamentals and make that feel great. And then we can layer on all the other cool stuff we want to do mm-hmm. with the, the spells and the enemies and all that stuff. And that resulted in a, a combat demo that was awesome. It was like really, really fun to play. I think we all saw the vision at that point. Um, that's when companies like EA got interested in us and, uh, and we're really, you know, excited about what we were doing. So that became like the foundation for everything. Okay. Let's, let's layer the whole game on top of, of that and, and build it out. So, um, yeah, that, that was a huge pivot for me and it's hard. It's hard to, you know, you're going down one road and you have 45 people really working on something. You go, we got to do a left turn and, and go in this other direction. And, but it, it paid off. The you said that Ascendant Studios was created to make Immortals of Avium. In your mind, did the studio come first or the IP? You know, you, you're finding your way making Magic Shooter. Was it always a Magic Shooter? How did the IP change? Which was first? Uh, yeah, so we uh, I started with the idea of a Magic Shooter. That was before I founded the studio. That was when I was talking to my investor about what I wanted to do. That idea came, uh, you know kind of evolved over time while I was working on Call of Duty. Um, and I knew that was the game. And I had, even before I founded the studio, I had like a something like a 60-page design document that I had written. Um, and that kind of formed the basis for what the game was going to be. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really, uh, you know, founding the company was really just in service of creating a team and creating a studio that could make this particular game. Um, of course, I then wanted to create a studio that would go on forever. So, you know, there is a lot of thought and work put into what are the, what are the, you know, the values of the studio? What are the pillars? What are the things that, you know, we're going to do differently? I had at that point been, you know, making games for 22 years. So I had, a lot of opinions about what really works in the studio and what doesn't work. And, uh, you know, I, I tried to bring a lot of that to bear um, in, in what the values of the company were going to be. Do you feel like you got it right? I think we've done a really good job. Uh, I mean, our, you know, there's some, I guess, metrics you can look at, things like turnover rate or attrition, how often do people not want to work for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's extremely low for us. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've created a culture and an environment where people feel comfortable. They feel they can be creative. They can have their own uh, autonomy to some degree and being able to have, um, you know, create some mastery over what they're trying to do in their individual disciplines. Um, mm-hmm. The disciplines work with each other well. It's it's all just a testament to um, to the the leads and the and the directors and the people that we that we've hired um, that are just awesome. I mean, they're they're professionals. A lot of them have a lot of AAA experience. They've worked on big games. They understand what that means, and uh, and and they really play nicely with others. Um, and that's the biggest thing. Like I I uh, you know, there's not a lot of big egos and not a lot of you know just a lot of uh, clashing. It's more like, okay, how do we, how do we work together on these things? So it's, it's a great group of people. Like I, I just really, uh, I really like all of them. I've been able to sense that in different interviews that I've watched you be a part of in different coverage, the, the rise podcast and such, I've been able to gather that, uh, that vibe from it, but you guys fell victim to, I think a lot of something we're seeing in the industry you know, across the board is that layoffs, job cuts, expanding budgets that are ballooning and pushing games. And I would, I would argue that, that Immortals of Avian walks this line of AAA, AA, because the visuals are just incredibly stunning. Ascendant published by EA, but you guys are your own thing. Can you talk a little bit about the difficulty of seeing those, having to make those decisions, I'm sure, and seeing it happen across the industry that has to be difficult? It's a crazy time right now. I mean, we see it every day. There's an article every day about some kind of huge layoff. Um, 
And it's unfortunate. And, you know, um, it's certainly like the hardest thing I've had to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you, you work really hard with people. Uh, you, you know, you, they've put their faith in you and their trust in you. Um, and you want to honor that as much as you can. So, you know, when you have to make a decision like that, it, it really sucks. Um, I, you know, we are, uh, a independent company, you know, we're not EA, we're not, um, a large organization. Um, our, uh, you know, bottom line, you know, required us to, uh, sell a lot of video games and, uh, we didn't meet our targets and that's, mm -hmm. that's just the unfortunate, you know, dollars and cents of it. And, um, that, you know, meant we had to do some layoffs. Um, you know, and I, you know, I, it, there are so many things when you're making a game that are out of your control. Um, certainly the market and everything is, can largely be out of your control. And, um, you know, it was just unfortunate for us, but, you know, um, my hope is that, um, I can work with a lot of those people again and that, you know, our, our next project or our future projects, we, we continue to grow. Certainly. So certainly. So I, uh, I do not envy the position you were in. I also have to wonder how much do, does release date play a factor? You've been a part of some huge AAA games, obviously immortals that kicked off what I think is just this incredible window where I think we saw a lot of games that got moved from pandemic times and whatnot, but it was, I would argue a very crowded release kind of window from August through to where we are recording now in early November. It, it's maybe the craziest time I've ever seen. I mean, it's one huge game after another. We knew some big games were coming. We knew Starfield was going to be huge. We knew we were releasing the same week as Armored Core, and we knew that that would be big. Uh, we knew that you know Assassin's Creed and Spider-Man games like that were coming out. We didn't realize that Baldur's Gate three would blow up <laughs> in the way it did, like right in front of us. I don't think or, Larian did either, to be fair. No, no, it, it seems to, or Microsoft, it, it seems to have caught everyone by surprise. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was big, um, you know, and before that, you know, there was other big games, you know, uh, Jedi Survivor, which was, you know, part of EA, so we knew all about that. Um, and afterwards, uh, and now we're seeing even games like Alan Wake 2 doing, you know, huge. So it's been one after another, and, um, you know, it's hard when you're a new IP, especially from a new studio that no one had heard of, to cut through that noise. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a there was a lot going on uh, at this time. So for us, release timing um, was crucial uh, and and really did affect um, how much uh, people have, have engaged with the game. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I'm happy that people that have engaged with the game really like it. Mm -hmm. um and, and and enjoy it and you know we're really hoping that with our our new uh a push coming out um later this week that you know a lot of people that maybe uh didn't have the time for it because there were so many other things to play uh they find it mm -hmm. um and you know obviously we're also going to have like a big price reduction a half off sale and things like that so that mm -hmm. hopefully will help people too i know a lot of people in the xcp community reached out asking for this interview specifically fans of the game that had played it but also people interested in playing it and uh with this next update which is part of what brings us together is we're going to get a chance to effectively see a relaunch to some people with those price reductions and the influx of gamers and there's a lot of there's a lot of avium to see a world of magic wielders and ley lines and and an ever war you've crafted characters and cities and warring parties in this in this world of avium um and i have so many questions about it i guess the first one is is this story the genesis of uh one person or a team that came together to craft the narrative and the story um it started with a story outline that i had written um and it kind of during that period i was talking about right right before i founded the company i had a three or four months to do a lot of writing and think about the game design and think about the narrative and the world and the characters. Um, and that sort of laid the foundation for a lot of, of what we were going, going to do. 
And I think if you read those documents now, like we didn't drift terribly far. There certainly the plot changed a lot, but a lot of the characters were there, and a lot of the the world was there. Um, but then my uh, my lead writer, Michael Kirkbride, um, when he and I started really working together in earnest, maybe a year, a year and a half into the project, um, and, and really started working on the narrative together, that really, you know, I, he and I, I really feel are just a great writing team. We just had a lot of fun writing this, and we kind of, we riff off each other a lot, and um, brought, you know, just had a lot of fun writing the characters, thinking up the characters and the scenes and, and the whole storyline and the world. So um, that, you know, you know, that, that in terms of the dialogue and the characters, that certainly you know, was the two of us, but then there's all the visual storytelling and, and the, the way the environments look and, and the, the beautiful world and, and the culture and things like that. And that's, you know, my art directors, uh, Dave Bogan and, uh, and Julia Lichtblau are just, you know, they're phenomenal. So um, it would, you know, as with everything, it's a, te- it's a huge team effort. Um, there were early, early ideas there, but they only got better as more and more people came onto it. I, it, it, it wasn't lost on me, uh, knowing your reputation and your experience with Call of Duty, that the Immortals are essentially this spec ops team in a magic world. Uh, and they've got, you know, these special powers. Jack, of course, able to use all of them. Uh, and you threw them into a moral dilemma against a big bad in Sandrax. Uh, how much did that Call of Duty-esque experience influence this magic world uh if at all beyond the the first person shooting aspect um it it was sort of you know in the back of my mind um it you know probably because i had spent nine years on that franchise it influenced it um Mm -hmm. you know in my subconscious to some degree but it, it did it did feel like you know we've seen a lot of different fantasy worlds and having that lens of the of the military seemed interesting to me it seemed like a lens that you know it's a little different than lord of the rings or some of the other you know kind of big franchises it was like well what if these were soldiers what if these really were you know doing these dangerous you know missions for lack of a better word in in this you know huge ever war um that just seemed like an interesting angle to approach everything through um and I, I, you know, I won't say it came directly from working on Call of Duty, but it, it you know, that influence might have been there. It was, it was just like, what did I want to do that was different that I hadn't seen before? Because I've seen, and we've all played a lot of, a lot of fantasy games. Mm-hmm. But what is it that's going to make us stand out and be interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, that led to a lot of world building ideas. What if this? world had been you know under siege for hundreds if not thousands of years what would that do to everyone how would that affect culture how would that affect the landscape um and just led to a lot of really interesting ideas and discussions so it it became one of the the pillars of the world building gotcha well i think um of course to me uh and and i think the player any player jack and kirk and standout uh darren barnett and gina torres are featured prominently and bring their characters to life. Uh, and I have to wonder how important were they to bringing this IP to bear for you guys? Oh, they're great. Um, they both were awesome to work with. Um, I, uh, you know, I, one of the several things I did on the game was I directed the actors. So I uh, had the, the, the good fortune to direct both Gina and Darren and um, they're just super professional, really, um, got into it, got into the, the characters, um, really just, uh, you know, we're passionate about it and, uh, and, the, and they're just great. I mean, I, uh, I, I, I couldn't have been happier. I felt very lucky and they really fit. They both really fit the characters as I saw them when I was writing them. That was so great to get these amazing actors. It just really, it was like, you know, pulled from my head, like, oh yeah, this is, this is exactly what I wanted. Um, so yeah, it was just, uh, it, that, that whole part of the process, working with the actors, directing the cinematics, uh, working on the dialogue, all that is like, to me, 
you know, maybe the most fun part of it. Jack was a protagonist of, of a lot of personality. And I think that came through in his writing as well as, uh, you know, Darren's portrayal of the character. And I, I do want to talk about the facial animations in such a moment, but you're directing these actors and you're writing a fantasy, but you didn't have them write in any Shakespearean-esque way or, or speak in a way that wasn't modern, I guess you would say. That had to be a conscious choice that you made. It was. It was a very early choice. I didn't want to do traditional old English fantasy. I didn't want this to be Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. Um, I took my cues from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I wanted to write a Marvel movie. And, uh, you know, it felt, I, I, pardon me for interrupting. It yeah. felt like it in that, in those opening moments. Yeah. It felt yeah. like an MCU moment. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm glad. Um, yeah. Cause you know, I'm a huge fan of, of those movies and what they really do so well is they can put the audience in a completely fantastical, ridiculous, crazy situation and, and environment. And I'm thinking of movies like guardians of the galaxy or, um, or, you know, Thor, the Thor series or things where you really are like, you know, in a totally different world, but the characters are so relatable that you can, you can slip right into it in a really, you know, easy and, and familiar way. So, so we had both, we had some characters that were more, they kind of spoke in a more high fantasy way. Mm -hmm. uh, Sandrak was one of them, but then we wanted to always play against that and undercut it with characters like Jack who um, are much more modern and, and relatable um, and, and constantly like walking that line. And it, it was just a, another way, you know, as a new IP, you're constantly looking for things that are going to be your signature or what's going to make you stand out. There's so much out there. What, what's going to make you different? And this to me was a great and a fun way to make us a little bit different than your standard fantasy game. I think it certainly did. And I think the, the, the vocals coupled with the facial animations, seeing someone as well-known as Gina Torres there, seeing Jack's uh, face uh, portrayed by Darren kind of on the cover in so many places uh, did give the, the, the game a visual standout. And it was remarkable to, to me how impressive the visuals were. This felt like a couple of the games this year that really set a bar for what current gen was meant to look like, does look like. Um, you talked earlier, we talked earlier about being a small team, but that visual bar that you guys hit was pretty darn high. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, a testament to the whole art team and how, how great they were, um, how great they are. Uh, Unreal 5 certainly gave us a lot of horsepower. It allowed for a, a, a pretty modestly sized team, especially for AAA. Um, you know, we, we made this game for a much lower budget than what you would see at a at normal, what you've heard about for a normal AAA game. And Unreal 5 got us there uh, for sure. Um, but, you know, I always knew we'd have a hard time competing head to head, just pixel to pixel and making everything as perfect as something like God of War. We had to, we had to be really strong just in our ideas. Like the ideas had to win the day what what the you know the particular level concept was what the particular environment was what this particular character looked and sounded like like that's you know if we couldn't reach the the you know the absolute perfect fidelity at least we could stand out by making something very interesting and different uh and so that you know it, it was always like we're, we're living or dying by the strength of, and the originality of our ideas and that apl applies to the characters that applies to you know any given cinematic scene, any given environment, um, any level that we created, it was what's going to make this cool and interesting on its own, regardless of how good we're able to ultimately make it look. We luckily were able to make it look really damn good, which was awesome. But uh, but the ideas always came first. Unreal Five, and I know very little about making games, so please don't uh, think that I, I'm coming from a, a different. It feels like you're able to do a lot more in two different like ranges of visual elements. Like we're very close up on on 
your characters' faces, seeing those reactions, those ticks that they have when they're frustrated, angry, sad. But then we can zoom out and see this massive scope. You, I will not spoil anything for anyone that hasn't played it, but like there is a massive battle at the end with these giants and ships powered <laughs> by magic, uh, you know, battling. There's a scope there and a lot of brilliant particle effects as well. Is that Unreal 5 on display? Art artists on display? The both? It's both. Um, you know, any game engine is a is a platform, you know, by which you can, you know, sort of bring you know, bring to bear the best the artists can can deliver. And and you know, so the engine has to be good, but the artists have to be amazing too. And you can't you know you can't have one or, or the other, you need both. So um it's a great engine. It's very powerful. Um, we were learning as we were going, for sure, because we were sort of on the cutting edge of things. I think, I think we're still maybe the only game that launched on Unreal 5.1. Um, so we were, you know, laying the, the the track as the train was moving, for sure, and trying to you know figure everything out. But um, but you know, I think at the end of the day, it comes. It comes back to the ideas and back to the artists uh, and the, the our visual effects team, our audio team. The audio is amazing in the game. The music, all those elements, you know, and that's all just people's talent and their and their creativity. Um, the it, Unreal is a delivery system for all that. I, I would think it started on Unreal Four and then made a transition. We did we did we transitioned over? Yeah, I think. Uh, two or three years into the project, which we transitioned over, which was gotcha. a little bumpy to say. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, one of the things, well, we talked about all the, a lot of the, the setup, but to me, we've ignored some of the, the gameplay elements like the combat. You have three magic types that you make use of, red, blue, and, and green, um, but you also have a shield, uh, sigils, a whip, all that can be combined, different skill trees. There's a lot that I think it reminded me of, it reminds me of COD because I'm thinking of COD with you, but like, you know, grenades and stun grenades and all these options. Uh, that's a lot of weaponry for the player to make use of. Was that all in there pre-planned? Did you guys come up with stuff on the way, drop stuff on the way? Um, yeah, we, we knew that we wanted, um, we wanted the game to be more than just, I've got my one spell or weapon that I like, I'm just going to spam the button and kind of force my way through. And I've, I've certainly played a lot of shooters where I've got my assault rifle and I'm just, you know, I got my one grenade and I'm going to town and, and look, that's great. And that can be a lot of fun. We, we definitely had a, a pillar of, um, of spell comboing of wanting to be able to use different spells in different ways to really um, be super effective in combat. And so that required of the player to have to use multiple different spells. So you're going to be using your lash to pull someone in and then you're using your red blast, which kind of acts like a shotgun to like, you know, blast them at close range. You're gonna wanna use um, your shatter spell to blow up their shield before you can shoot them. And, you know, just, you, you it was always a question of, how do you do this plus this? And and we call it, you know, rock paper scissors design. I, I see this, so I want to I want to, you know, um, I want to parry. I want to counteract with this other ability. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're sort of kind of at the upper edge of complexity when it came to the controls and and how how you play the game. That being said, I think. What, what we've seen is most players gravitate to a few spells that they really like, a few combos that they really like. And, um, you know, they'll, they'll have two or three of those that are their sort of core, core spells and they, and they do great. And they, and you can absolutely play the game that way and have a lot of fun. If you want to use variety or if you want to play the game again with different and really focus on different spells and upgrade different spells, it's all there. you know, you can, you, you can, there's a dozen different types of builds you can create in the game that, or more, um, that play pretty differently. So we just wanted variety and we wanted, you know, if a player really wanted to try to use everything they could, or if they wanted to focus, they could. Um, but it, it was important that there was some strategy involved and you felt 
smart and you felt powerful. Uh, everything about the game was about being the battle mage, being a gunslinger, being someone who was, you know, could go into a, a whole area and you're not, you know, like you have your own personal shield. You're not hiding behind a bush shooting at guys. You're like, you know, able to stand your ground and, and use the shield and protect yourself and make smart choices really quickly. Like that was all sort of in the DNA of what we're trying to accomplish with the combat. Uh, and I'm really happy that it gets such great accolades. People really, you know, people that engage in it really, really love it, which is awesome. I found myself playing through the game, finding what I liked, diversifying a bit as the skill tree opened up here and there. But then I would check out videos or talk to, to people in my community that were also playing it. And I realizing there are min maxers out there who are, are, parrying and doing all types of stuff uh, with, with the different abilities they get, the sigils. I wasn't making use of certain abilities at various points. And they were like, you are you are trying to brute force through X when you should be doing Y. Yeah. And I discovered some more of that rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, yeah, it's all there. Um, and, you know, we didn't want to make a game so complicated that you needed a, you know, a doctorate to be able to play it. And, and you know, <laughs> have to you know, have a, a spreadsheet in front of you while you're, while you're doing it. It's not like that, but, um, but yeah, you can find you, you know, there are strategies or weaknesses to enemies. There are all sorts of things built in that, uh, you know, a dedicated or a clever player might be able to find. And that's, and that's cool. Uh, or, or you can brute force it, you know, and, and, you know, you can do all right. You might get frustrated at times, but you can get there. One of my favorites is the lash. That whip ability is fun to use. Uh, I used it in combat, and you guys made use of it in traversal. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we have a lot of traversal in the game. We have a lot of... Um, we wanted all the control spells to have puzzles associated with them. Um, and so there's puzzle solving. Um, you know, on the on the main path, you probably found, like, the puzzles were pretty light. Like, they're, they're there. They're kind of... They're, they mix up the gameplay a little bit. They're almost like a palate cleanser. Um, but then if you go off the beaten path and do some of the optional stuff, the puzzles start to get a little crazy. Um, and so we just wanted to make sure that the spells also had, you know, cool abilities in the world. Cause I love exploration. I love being able to find that hidden thing, the hidden chest. Um, we have the shroud fanes, which are the, the little mini dungeons that are hidden all over the place. We wanted to make sure those were, um, you know, really cool. And there were a lot of them. Um, Actually, with this new update, we're adding even more. So, yes. um, yeah, <laughs> there'll be some new ones. Uh, so I like that kind of stuff. And that, and I like puzzle design a lot, too. Um, and, you know, even going back to Dead Space, you know, we have puzzles in Dead Space. Um, and I, I, I always like trying to design those. I couldn't get many puzzles in Call of Duty, unfortunately. But uh, I had to turn off that part of my brain for a while. But uh, it turned back on once I started working on Immortals. It's it's the puzzles were palate cleanser is a great term because through the course of the campaign, yes. And then as I ventured further away from a beaten path, finding more difficult ones, I was reminded of multiple times like things like the Legend of Zelda, thanks in large and Metroid Prime, uh, in large part due to the chime that you guys play when you accomplish a puzzle. Right. That was cracked to me. I loved <laughs> it. I loved it. Um, I don't know if there's a special trick to it, but that was an endorphin kick that I thoroughly enjoyed every time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's our uh, credit to our sound designers for that one. Uh, yeah, that's you know you hear that you know you've you've done something right. You know you know you've unlocked something. Uh, you found a special piece of gear. Um, I, I I love that kind of stuff. So um, we put a lot in. Like there's a lot. I don't I I, I don't know. I never counted, but there's. There's lots of puzzles throughout, lots of hit, lots of hidden stuff. You did a lot of hidden stuff, but you also hid some stuff in plain sight as well that forces the player to return to an area with a new ability or yeah. with a new, like the lash or floating or things like that. Like there are ways to, to do things. There was one pillar puzzle that like you knock different things around. Yeah. Uh, that's in the center of one of the cities that I banged my head against for a moment. And then I was like, wait a minute. Metroidvania-esque. <laughs> yeah, we we um, we definitely put a lot of Metroidvania stuff throughout all the levels. 
Um, and sometimes people would get a little frustrated. They'd, they'd start to play with it and go, I, I don't understand what this is. But there's always that, you know, in game design, you're always trying to like create that friction where you're, you're just frustrated up to a point. You, know, you don't want to go too far and people get pissed. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're trying to get them right up to a point and then they go, oh, wait a minute. And, and then when they come back later, they're like, oh, like, or they get the ability. They're like, that, that thing I saw before, I can use that. Now. I can, you know, I can get into that new area. And that's a great feeling. I, I love the, that moment in games, those aha moments. So, um, yeah, yeah, we put those uh, everywhere. They're, they're every single level, pretty much almost every single level you can go back into, you can revisit. There's new combat challenges. It's harder. And then there's, you know, things you can unlock um, using those abilities. So yeah, it's a, it's a fun part of it. Um, and definitely like it makes the game uh, a bigger, a bigger game. Like you can spend a lot of hours doing that stuff to get the best gear and everything. I, I noticed that as well. And um, for any listener that's unfamiliar with Immortals of Avium, the shroud veins that we kind of mentioned earlier, I guess the best equivalent might be the shrines in Breath of the Wild. Would that be yeah. a fair equivalent? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, there may be an old design document that says exactly that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I uh, I want to get to this new update and what it's bringing, uh, but I'm going to let a listener do that for me. Uh, Rick Davis wrote in and asked about uh, quality of life changes or improvements that are coming in this update. Is this uh, you know something that we're going to see more of? He says uh, he really was interested in and just some of the weapons that you guys have uh, and the improvements that are coming in this week's big patch. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. The patch is awesome. It's the Echolector edition, uh, which is the, the Echolector? Echolector. It's, well, cool. yeah, it's the name of a, of a new boss that we've, that we've added to the game. Um, and uh, there are a lot of, there's a lot of new stuff. There's a couple of, a couple of new bosses, actually. There's some new Shroud Fanes, uh, pretty high level challenge, um, uh, you know, optional um, combat spaces and, and things like that. Um, we added a new difficulty mode, so it's a harder difficulty mode, uh, the Grand Magnus difficulty. Um, we added New Game Plus, so you can finish the game and play again with all your gear and all your talents. And um, the game gets a little more challenging, but you know, you've got all your your whole kit to, to, you know, fight with. Um, and uh, what else have we added? We've got, oh, and then there's just been a lot of, uh, you know, performance increases. Uh, the game runs better. It looks better. Um, we've solved a lot of, uh, you know, issues uh, that we had uh, early on. Um, we fixed a lot of bugs. So it, it's, I kind of feel like this is the best version of Immortals of Avian. And it's, a, it's the version that I'm, I'm really, really proud of. Um, you know, on top of that, we've got uh, a free trial. You can download the game for free and play the first, you know, couple hours uh, at least uh, for free uh, if you want to just try it out. Um, Is that via EA Play or just in general? It just in general. Um, nice. I think that's, I think it, it's certainly on um, PlayStation and Xbox. Um, I, I think it's for PC as well, but you can, yeah, you can just uh, download the game and, and play it. Um, and you'll, you can get a certain, to a certain distance and mm-hmm. then um, you have the option to buy it. And it's at a huge price discount. Um, you know, the game, when we, uh, when it drops on, on the 16th, uh, the game's half off. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, between the free trial and, ha- and half off and, and all the new features we have in it, um, you know, I'm just, re- I'm really hoping that people really discover the game or rediscover it and, uh, and check it out because it's, um, you know, it's something we're really, really proud of. I, uh, I suppose the, there are a couple of things that come to mind there for, you said the Echolector is a new boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would suggest the gate that this new content takes place after the story. Well, you can you can get you can get to some of it before you finish the game. Um, mm-hmm. It's just going to be really hard, <laughs> mm-hmm. so you may not want to fully you know uh, go after it until mm-hmm. you've got uh, you know some of the best gear. 
And, and now that we have new game plus, you might not want to go after it until you've actually completed a loop and go and go at it again. Um, but, uh, but it's, yeah, I think, you know, it's not all just gated for just the end of the game. We wanted to make sure you could, you know, if you hadn't quite finished the game yet, but you want to check out the other, st the new stuff you could. I like the idea of new game plus because, uh, there were a couple achievements in that required dialogue with certain characters at certain moments that I missed here and there. Um, yeah. was that kind of among player feedback that you guys had heard? Yeah, we have we have some achievements that you you need to play again to to get. Um, I think that uh, you know, uh, in hindsight, I probably wouldn't do that again because it's a little frustrating. Um, but you know, it kind of it, it is what it is. But uh, but yeah, now you can now you can go back and, and do it all again. You talked about a new difficulty level in Grand Magnus. Well, Ellery wrote in with a question asking about uh, when you're creating a game. Is there a story level difficulty, like a super easy mode? Uh, and if not, is that something that you uh, deal with or, or concern yourself with when you are uh, working on crafting a story that's more immersive versus the challenge of combat? Make sure I read that right. Um, we, we do have a, a, a more casual mode um, you, can, you can opt into. Um, and the game is quite a bit easier if you just want to enjoy the narrative, if you don't want to, you know, get killed 20 times in a boss or whatever. Um, and you can also switch the difficulty on the fly. Like if you're just finding a, a, a challenging moment and it's too hard for you, you can, you can lower the difficulty and get through it mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then raise it back up again. So um, yeah, we certainly have that. Um, and it's important because, you know, I wasn't really trying to make the game just for hardcore gamers. I wanted anyone to be able to play it. Um, and we spent a lot of time on the story and, and, and you know, we're telling a huge story, as you know. So um, if that's what you're coming for, uh, don't let the, you know, the shooting part of it be a complete barrier. You know, it, it's fun and, and hopefully people enjoy that part of it. But um, you can also, you know, definitely play in a more casual way. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of it, we've added the ridiculous difficulty that <laughs> for the masochists out there. <laughs> I, I'm very curious to see how that is received because there were moments that I was I was just I, I could tell that if I was five years younger, ten years younger, I could have caught you know. Um I had I had those moments there, but any listener that was unfamiliar with AVM to this point has certainly noted by now that we are talking about a story and a campaign. Brett, you crafted a single player first person shooter at a time where we're seeing companies talk about monetization, uh, games as service, rolling things out and having constant updates next to, quite interestingly, all these layoffs that we talked about at, at various points and ballooning of budgets. But you made a single player narrative game, a first person shooter at that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it was a risk um, because of exactly what you're saying that, you know, a lot of the the big companies, a lot, a lot of the trends were sort of moving in a different direction, you know, but look at all the big games that came out this year. You know, when you think about, oh, single player versus multiplayer, you know, Baldur's Gate, Assassin's Creed, Spider-Man 2, uh, you know, Alan Wake, Alan Wake. It, 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 like the list goes on and on. They're all single player. Mm -hmm. They're all single player. People love a great story. They love being immersed. Um, you know, I mean, people love competition and, and, and multiplayer too, but, um, you know, one of the things you find, what I found was, um, and this is maybe controversial, but I almost felt like single player in a way was less risky because with multiplayer, you've got people that are really passionate about one or two games and they've put hundreds of hours in those games and trying to pull them away from that experience is really really hard you really you know it's just it it's really challenging and as opposed to if you're just telling a great new story everyone likes a good story so i think that is a little more of an attractive offering and the the investment is a little less you, like you said you don't have to play for hundreds of hours and wait for the content to roll in over months or anything. You just get to buy the game, play it, enjoy it, have a great time, move on, um, maybe play it again. But 
uh, like I usually do. I usually play single player games a few times because I want to see everything. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very different experience. But I mean, clearly this year and in, in really every year, if you look at the top 10 selling games in every year, there's always a lot of single player there. It's never gone. It's never gone away. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of big companies and publishers maybe chase or chasing that multiplayer uh, audience a lot. Um, but you know, let's not leave the other audience behind in that pursuit. Mm-hmm. Brett, uh, I want to make sure I don't o- skip over anything in the update that maybe is there that we haven't talked about because I know this will be a reintroduction for a lot of people, but it will be, uh, or rather an introduction, but it will be, you know, I'll be returning to it and I've got these new, uh, shroud veins that I'll be able to check out. Uh, new bosses to check out anything that we haven't mentioned that I need to give due time to because I have one more listener question um, no I think that's it uh, you know for me I like the fact that we have new game plus because I always do that whenever I play a big campaign and I've I've got like half the talents I didn't buy all the talents and I want and I didn't get all the legendary items and I wanted to get more um, I, you also like to have that at least at the beginning of your new game plus you kind of have that revenge tour where you're you're really powerful and you're like able to kick ass in a way that you weren't able to when you first played so that you know having that experience um it is cool so i'm glad i'm glad we're able to get that in but uh but yeah no it's uh it's the bosses the shroud fans the new difficulty level new game plus it's a big offering it's a lot there's a lot there we've done a lot of work paid update i meant to ask that is it a paid, paid update? update. Uh, what do you mean? Like, like, does it cost for anybody? Oh, no, 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 no. This is all free. It's all there free. You go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all free. And, well, in fact, the game's half off. So, very so cool. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, it's all, all free update. The one of my listeners, um, James, he was asking me about, about AVM and whatnot. And he was curious because, and I tend to agree, the visual fidelity stood out. And you talked about like, tweaks and performance and stuff and that makes us think in xbox territory about the series s which i'm alluding to larry and you know learning the series s and debates of powerful not powerful was your experience different between making like a base level pc version xbox version for s for x playstation 5 version was it different overly different yeah yeah it is uh the s is challenging for a developer um no question about it uh you you know you you have memory uh, restraints, uh, constraints, I should say, that are uh, hard, um, and you have to, you know, unfortunately, strip out some detail in order to to really get a good experience. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a surprise. It's a it's a less powerful machine than the X, so you know, there's going to be a compromise you're making um, to the game to some degree. It's it's inevitable. Um, so yeah, there was especially as we were finishing the game. There was a lot of work to make sure that it was a good experience on the S that it looked good. Um, you're, you're just dealing, it, it's a very, you're dealing with a very different beast than the PlayStation 5 or the Xbox X or, or a high-end PC, you know, like that's kind of all at one level. And then, you know, but we also had to make the game work well for um, lower spec PC. Uh, and so Xbox S kind of, you know, fits it in that as well. So in kind of that tier, um, and, and that's actually one thing we have done is, um, the specs, the PC specs for the game are, have been lower. Um, you can get a great experience for, um, I think a lower spec than what we initially launched at. This might seem counterintuitive, but do you think the industry is going in that direction where you have to have a low spec and a high spec version, given that games stream now you know you play things in the cloud is that a direction the industry's going uh i wouldn't be surprised i mean i think you know you always want to be able to um have a game available to the biggest audience you possibly can uh you know as a creator i want uh i want everyone to play the game i don't want there to be a barrier to entry uh because of technology really um so uh yeah and i think you know as, as we see more and more streaming um come online that's going to be you're definitely going to have that barrier for sure um so yeah i mean i think you know you're you're fighting against you always want things to look better and better we're always we're you know 
everyone I know that's making games, we're, we're perfectionists, we're wanting things to be beautiful, and, and we're always trying to push the medium forward in, in some way. Um, but you don't want to leave people behind while you're doing that. So it, it, it's hard, you know, it's, it's a give and take. Um, you make some decisions that uh, you know, okay, it's not going to look quite as good, but we don't want, you know, all these people that, that can't afford a, a you know, a huge PC to not be able to play the game. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it's a, it's a constant push and pull. Yeah. I, uh, I often like to ask developers that are, that, that come on as they release or gauge windows of release, or even like look at the second life, if the subscription service model makes sense or doesn't for their game, because each game is different, single player, multiplayer, all of these elements was game pass or PlayStation plus or any of the others out there an interest at any point? Yeah. I mean, I, again, I think it, it speaks to the, um, the ability to get as many people to play the game as possible. I, I want a huge audience. Um, I want, you know, um, I, I, the more people that can play the better, in my opinion. Um, and that's not just from a commercial point of view. It's just from a creative, like I'm making these things to connect with other people, you know, like that's why I do this. So, you know, I want to connect with more people. Um, the, um, and I think we, there, there's a good chance that we will show up on those services at some point. Um, we didn't initially launch with it. I don't really understand fully the economics behind streaming because I'm not like a, I'm not, I only pretend to be a businessman. I'm, <laughs> so I'm not sure how it would have affected us one way or another. Um, if it would have been a great idea or, or a bad idea commercially, mm -hmm. um, I really don't know. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and the economics, I think the economic model for things like Game Pass has certainly changed over time. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say, but I think in the spirit of having as many people play as possible, I, I have a feeling we'll definitely show up on those, on those services, um, awesome. maybe, maybe sooner than later. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, Brett. This is an interview that I'm so grateful for. I've so sincerely looked forward to it since uh, since I got my hands on ABM. There was something about that world that spoke to me. And so I'm appreciative to you for taking the time today and for sharing the game uh, with listeners. And I'm so excited to see what this re new update brings. Ecollector Edition. Ecollector Edition. Uh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I'm, 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 it's it, it feels good to hear that you were a fan. Uh, but that's awesome. Um, and I, yeah, I hope more and more people play it because I, it's a great game. We, we made it, I'm really proud of the game. I think it's an awesome game. And I think, uh, and people love a great story and they love a great action game. They, they want to play something that's fun. And especially if they want to play something different, mm -hmm. I mean, how many sequels and franchises did we see this year? You know, mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's try something new. Uh, so yeah, um, I, I hope people discover it, but thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Well, listeners, uh, if you're listening when this first releases, do check out the game while it's on sale. Absolutely uh, well worth your time. Both Logan and I thoroughly enjoyed it over at XEP, uh, and we hope you guys do too. That's going to be it for us. Brett, thank you for joining me. And have Thanks, man. The rest of your week. Take care, guys.